Hello, doll friends, and welcome back to the 18th episode of Breaching Extinction. Thanks for being patient with us while we've had kind of like a month-long hiatus. I've been in the process of moving, as all of you know, and I'm finally settled in, finally getting back to doing interviews. I'm super stoked for um, a lot of the interviews that we have coming out in the next month or so. Um, We're going to talk about some really cool things and some new ideas, so I'm really pumped. Um, But this week, we've got a very special episode. Um, Instead of me or Ellie interviewing somebody else, um, I was interviewed by a French researcher, um, Adelaide Fuque. I'm sure that I butchered that. She does say how to pronounce her name in this, so... um, You will get to hear it correctly, but she um, is currently at the Swedish University of Agricultural Science doing a master's program in environmental communications and management. Um, Essentially, she's just kind of studying the impacts of the community um, on, like, throughout Washington and throughout parts of the world and their perceptions of the Southern residents. So she was doing some survey data and she asked to interview me. So um, we are sharing that interview with you guys. So you guys get to be a part of the scientific process as well. Uh, We hope you enjoy it. Um, And if you guys have any questions, um, we'll be sure to touch back with her um, once she's completed all of her data and we'll probably do another interview, hopefully, um, where it's the other way around and we can find out what she learned. Um, But hope you guys enjoy this episode. Oh. How are you? Good. Uh, thank you so much for all the time you're giving me. That, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, of course. We always love to support science. Indeed, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you so much again. Uh, so I don't, know, I, I don't know how much in details I went, but basically I'm going to be writing my master thesis about the people locally or internationally fighting for their thousand resident killer whales conservation in any way possible, like you with podcasts. I've got people from museums, uh, photographers, uh, writers, artists, people from NGOs, so rich people from a lot of different places, which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Basically, the, so the interview, interview conversation will be around three topics. First one would be your perception. So everything's going to be based around your perception of things, your point of view. Uh, the first one is going to be about their orcas themselves, mm-hmm. especially the pods uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, the second one would be about the tourism. If you know, I don't know, have you, I, because I don't know much if you've been in San Juan or if you live there, if you... Yes, I actually worked on the whale watch boats while I was living on Orcas Island over the past summer, so I'm pretty familiar with the tourism up there. Okay, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would turn around the tourism, around the killer whales, mm-hmm. and then just uh it's going to be not as thorough but a bit about the orca task force okay because it's a very controversial topic between those against for the recommendations that were made mm-hmm. it's a bit a sensitive topic so i want to get everyone's opinion of it and see if how they understand the decisions made basically okay Uh, But the first question, like, can you, like, present yourself? Like, where you're from, what exactly you're doing? Like, just... (laughs) Cool. Um, So my name's Erica Wirth. Um, For this project that I'm working on, um, I have a podcast called Breaching Extinction. Um, 
I grew up in Ohio, um, went to school in Florida. I've lived in seven states. I'm now living in California. Um, but I've always had kind of a connection to whales and dolphins, um, especially orcas. And I ended up, um, I didn't want to work on whale watch boats originally or in ecotourism because living in Florida, I saw how bad it was. People drove all over dolphins and, um, I went on a couple of the eco tours and, was given a lot of really inaccurate information, so it was very disheartening. Um, so I never wanted to pursue that. However, I heard about kind of the whale watching industry up in the Pacific Northwest, and I had always wanted to see orcas, so I went and visited last March. Um, I saw that they were very respectful to the animals, and I felt like this was a really good um, management technique, at least better than what I'd seen in other places. And I had um, an experience when I was studying abroad in Tanzania um, where there were hundreds of safari vehicles around a lioness that was trying to hunt. Um, and so I, um, they kept getting in her way when she was trying to take down a zebra. We ended up leaving. But ever since that moment, I've always had a, uh, an interest in um, connecting people to animals, potentially through ecotourism, because I think people seeing animals in the wild is the best way to do it, but doing it safely. Um, and I saw they did that in the San Juan, so I moved up there, did the whale watching there, and now I'm in California doing the whale watching. Um, but the reason that I have the the project with the Southern residents is because I think, I just am very interested in how the people of Washington have come together and how many people are invested in these whales. Um, I think that they have a really unique story compared to other endangered species. Um, but that's kind of why I'm doing this project. But also I'm a very firm believer in um, access to education, specifically environmental education, because it's very exclusive. Um, like you need a certain amount of money to participate in things and not a lot of people understand that. Um, so for me, this is a free way to get information out there, but also do it in a way um, that's maybe a little bit less dry than traditional science that's more personal and relatable. Okay. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Sorry, that was probably a little too in-depth. No, 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 that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so you said you first went to San Juan last March. So mm -hmm. that kind of comes to the first question about the orcas themselves. So I w that would be a guess, but I'm guessing you saw them for the first time on the whale-watching boat yes. last March around there, yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the question is going to be very personal like what did you feel because you told me you had an interest in them before so what did you feel like inside when you first saw them like what was your first reaction your first thought um i felt a lot i cried i have this thing where with certain animals that i see like for the first time i'll cry and even if i see them again there have been times where i've had really good encounters with the orcas that have just made me cry it's just like uh, it, it's almost involuntary, um, but I was just very overwhelmed with with joy and just like, you know, kind of like a feeling of, of connectedness. You know, I think that we're more connected to these animals than a lot of other animals. Um, but also that's always been a dream of mine. Like I've always loved orcas. I've always wanted to see them in a while in the wild. I have a whole list of species that I want to see before I die. And they were absolutely top on the list. Like I traveled to the San Juans to see them. So I was just like overjoyed fell in love with it and then I knew that that was where I needed to be um so I moved to the San Juans I now live in California just because I got a job here but I would love to go back because those orcas are, are truly something special okay 
But I did see a transient pod that day. I did not see the Southern Residents. I will uh-huh, okay. specify. Okay. But still, orcas are awesome. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so about still about the thousand. Like, what do the those three specific pods? Do they have any specific meanings to you on a personal level? Because you said they were on the top of your list a bit. Is there like a specific reason? Is it? Because you love orcas, but, you know, those three pods, do they have a specific meaning to you? Um, I just, like, I'm very passionate about, like, community and social structures and culture. And so um, seeing the influence that they have had throughout the state of Washington, throughout the world, really, they've touched so many people. um, That was something I found really interesting. They are, you know, known for being, like, the friendliest of all of the ecotypes of orcas. So there's that as well. But there, there's a lot of stories of individuals that I particularly resonate with. Um, like Luna, for example, um, is the whale that was, um, it, like, he got disconnected from his family and ended up trying to connect with people. And um, ultimately, he got hit by a boat. But there was, like, a lot of, like, involvement from outside parties about what was going to be best for him. And in my own personal life, you know, I've had experiences where I've been disconnected with my family and outside entities are getting in the way, but I just, you know, was really inspired by his, um, like his willingness to still try to connect with something. I just thought that that was fascinating. Um, but there's a lot of like Southern residents, like, you know, they've, they've been captured and put into tanks. Um, and I, you know, they're just very resilient. They've been through a lot. Um, it seems like they have a lot of experiences that are similar to the human experience and I don't want to necessarily anthropomorphize them too much, but at the same time, I do want to hold space for the potential that that is legit. Um, but I just think that they're very resilient. Um, they're very acrobatic and connected to people more so than many other animals. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> Um, so you kind of answered that question, but can you tell me again why you decide to join the, the fight for the conservation through podcasts specifically? Why did you decide? Was it because of the lack of education on like environmental issues and environmental in general? Or Yes, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. And, you know, I'm very passionate about people getting access to the right information because there's so many people out there with good intentions, but they just don't have the um the tools or they don't I don't think that they're they have ill intent or anything but there's false information that gets spread and so I wanted to spread um accurate information I wanted to have a place where people could come check in and and get up to date kind of news about what's going on um but also you know I I'm very interested in all types of perspectives so I wanted to address the cultural economic ecological um, social, personal, like all the aspects of that. And I still, you know, there's so many topics that we've explored, but there's still so many to explore. So I kind of wanted to articulate the complexities that go into, um, saving an endangered species. Um, but also, you know, I thought that this would be a good opportunity to get people from the community to connect because they're, you know, while we are all still fighting the same fight, I have since learned since starting this podcast that there are divides within the killer whale community. Um, yeah. So I'm just hopeful that this is, you know, 
this is a place that's going to be a little bit more accessible for everyone. Podcasts are free. Um, yeah. And so we do have the option for people to like donate to Patreon if they want to. Um, but I like very firmly believe that like the things that I want to do, I want to make it accessible to everyone as accessible as possible. So that's okay. why podcast was the platform. Plus it seems like there's a lot of people out there that already do like art and photography and things like that. And while I do love those things, um, there wasn't somebody doing something quite like this. So I wanted to do something a little different. Yeah, it's very, uh, I would even say creative. Well, thank you. To have like a whole podcast around the killer whales and the different issues and like everything that's involved. Mm-hmm. And like speaking about this, because I've been listening to your podcast, uh, I've known actually you from Adam. I'm going to fuck up his name Ernster yeah Mm -hmm. exactly yeah he posted about you and his stories and I've been following him for a while and I thought that was an amazing idea like how do you find all those people how do you do you already know like okay that person would be amazing to this part or do you just contact people who feel like okay I want to go towards the political part or towards the more like creative part of the thousand like how do you manage to contact people how do you decide um so i read a lot of books about the southern residents and get a lot of different perspectives um from it but i started out with kind of contacting people that i knew or that i like somebody who knew them um and so um that's kind of how i have started but i like typically one thing kind of leads into another and so i'll talk to somebody and that'll spark a thought or conversation about talking to somebody else and then talking to another person um so that's kind of how i do that and i'm open to talking to anyone really about anything just because that Mm -hmm. i feel um that everyone has like a voice to share and everything's important and you know we do talk to experts and people that are in their niche all the time um and that's that is important, but I think talking to the community members is just as crucial. Yeah. Okay. So. And um, how do you decide which topic to tackle every time? Because it's so diverse. Yes. So we, um, my like podcast partner and I, Ellie Sawyer, she um, came on a little bit later in the project, but um, we had discussed potentially doing it in. Um, like in a sequence of like, oh, like we're going to, you know, talk about economic or different social perspectives or whatever and like just kind of do like seasons of that. But then we thought that, you know, um, it would be a little bit more diverse and interesting to kind of keep it a little bit sporadic. Um, And you never know what kind of train of thought is going to lead into the other. I'm a big fan of um, pushing boundaries and doing things differently. Um, And so I think, you know, having the diversity in there can spark a lot of different ideas and different conversations um so it's just mostly to keep it interesting but to encourage people to have kind of a different train of thought and think critically while also looking at the interconnectedness of all these issues yeah and uh, what have been the reaction to your podcast since you started did you have like mixed reviews or like people actually happy like oh this is so different or angry people for some reason like what have been the reactions you've been given um so being from the midwestern united states i expected to be met with a lot of resistance and have people not want to chat with me just because they're not very environmentally minded there um however the west coast is completely different um and to be honest, I've been met with only positive responses, which I, you know, I'm always open to criticisms and um, ways to improve, but people have 
been willing to talk to me. Um, they like all give positive feedback. A lot of the people that after I've interviewed them, they've been like, you know, thanks for doing this kind of work. This is important, which is, you know, not something that I necessarily expected. Um, but it's definitely, it's been a positive response. And like, we've even said on our podcast, like if there's things you want to learn about, if there's things that you don't like, if there's topics you don't agree with, like, let's have a conversation, you know, um, what can we do better? And we haven't received any negative feedback thus far, you know, who knows what the future holds, but, um, it's been all positive up until this point. Okay. Yeah. And uh, just on a note, like it is like I think what you're doing is actually really like important because, for example, my supervisor of the thesis, she doesn't know the situation of the kilo whales. And I explained to her, but it's a bit it's so dense Mm -hmm. that she doesn't really grasp it. And I actually gave you gave her your podcast to listen to. And she has been listening to half of the podcast and she really understands where I'm coming from and why I really pushed this because people didn't want me to work to talk about something in the US that I've never been to and I'm not planning on going for financial reasons they were like no you need to find something right where you can go and actually observe and do field observation Mm -hmm. but I pushed it like until I was like this is not going to change my mind I'm going to do it and thanks to your podcast and the people you interviewed and your conversations she actually understood and now she's supporting me so much so even if it's on a very like small level like you actually your work is actually amazing it actually helps me so thank you for this (laughs) oh my gosh that makes me so happy oh my goodness I had no idea I just thought people would just like listen and find it interesting but I'm so glad that like it's impacting your work so do you get to come to Washington uh, I, I'm going to Canada this summer, but on the, I'm going, unfortunately, I'm going on the very East Coast. Okay. So I don't know if I'm going to have the financial means to go to the West Coast, pay the, like, the flat, like, the house, the guest house and the car renting and everything. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay for all this. Well, if you end up going, if you can go to Washington, I can help you arrange housing and whatnot. If you can just get to the island, we can work out the rest. <laughs> oh, don't tell me this. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I, I know people. We can make it work. So just well, everybody in this community is very supportive. They will happily, like someone will put you up <laughs> and feed you. It will be fine. Okay, well, we'll definitely keep in touch because yes. I've been already looking at plane tickets. I have like a rent house, like a guest house in mind. I know what I want to do. I've already like <laughs> planned everything, but yeah. I don't know. But yeah, definitely, uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so we'll definitely keep in touch yes. if it's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, okay, is there anything else you want to tell me about the podcast? And maybe I haven't asked something you want to portray that something maybe specific or even not specific, anything that you think is important because that might end in my actual thesis. So um, it's like. I think it's just important to kind of um, to encourage people to continue to have hope because I think, you know, we all watch the news and it, there's a lot of fear mongering and negativity, but I have found through this that there's a lot of people that want to work hard. Um, and that they want to, like, you know, they want to get things done. We just all need to be on the same page. Um, one of the things that I've, I've learned through this that's made me a little bit sad, though, is that there's a lot of conflict in the community yeah. and people all take a stake 
for either like the dams going down or like you know the parabens in the water or the whale watching and all of those things are important they all need to be managed properly and so we just have to we have to work together and you know it's if you're passionate about one thing maybe you should focus on that because we definitely do need some focus there's there's too many issues for one person to tackle um so i just encourage people to continue to like work as a group because when we when we start fighting each other then we don't get anything done and ultimately at the end of the day we all want to save these whales we all have different opinions and even if it's not the ideal perfect situation that you want or that you think is going to best help them we just have to do something you know so that i think would be my last message and then you know just continue to to for people to go and learn and and talk with people and figure it out because you know like you kind of just reiterated you you plant a seed you never know where it's going to grow so exactly yeah uh yeah so i'm gonna talk to you ask you questions about the tourism soon Mm -hmm. but before i just want to like again on a side note i think i felt the exact same way Mm -hmm. about the conflicts i think i was really shocked at first because i expected pretty much everyone to kind of agree that they need to be protected which they all agree on but the ways of them being protected is very different different depending on who i'm speaking to and I've only had like three interviews so far and two of them are completely clashing. Mm. And one of the interviewees was extremely aggressive towards whale watching. Yes. I, like, I, I did not expect that. I was extremely shocked. And the day after I talked to someone from a whale watching tour and they had completely different information. Mm-hmm. It's not even point of view. It's just completely different information. Right. And it was like very shocking to me that they both want their protection so much and yet they can't agree on one thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just very confusing to me because like, why can't you agree or like at least do some compromises right. and work it out? And they were like, no, I hate whale watching. They should be banned because that's what kills the orca. And the other one is like, no, this is everything else. But that was so confusing to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, so first question about the tourism is what do you think about the tourism that's implemented in the Salish Sea around, I mean, it's I know it's about all the wildlife and not right. ex, not exclusively on the Kilo Wells, but how do you feel about the tourism implemented in the Salish Sea? Um, I think it's the best that I've ever seen anywhere. I've been very privileged. I'm very, very interested in, like, you know, human-wildlife conflict and connecting people to animals, and that's taken me to you know, study abroad in five countries and live in seven different states. And I was drawn to the San Juans because that I thought that it was the best that I've seen. And I still, after working a summer there, stand by that. However, that does not mean that there are not improvements to be made. There's always improvements to be made. Just because I do think it's the best does not mean, actually Costa Rica is probably the best, um, but San Juans would be the second best. Um, But, you know, There's still definitely improvements to be made. Um, I found personally that every captain that I worked with um, did really care about these whales and um, didn't want people to get close to them. Um, There's a lot of things that we have to consider. You know, we don't want to get too close to the animals. We do want to give them their space. Um, However, I think that, you know, those of us that care about whales and dolphins and animals, like, that's in us. Like, I think that that's innate, something that you're kind of born with. And... 
there are people out there that don't have that in them, and I think that taking away the whale watching um, could potentially take away that part of their heart that could be awakened to caring about wildlife. Um, and I think it's really important to connect people to the planet because so many people don't have that connection. You know, we're all caught up in our phones and shopping and day-to-day living, at least in America, that's how it is. And um, so I think that taking that away would be very harmful because so many people care. Um, and that's how you get so many people to care. Like, my life has changed because I went on a whale watching boat. I wouldn't be sitting where I am right now if I hadn't had that experience. Um, and there's a lot of other experiences. Like, the reason that I'm in this field was because of, of ecotourism, essentially. So when I was 16, um, I was volunteering at a zoo, and they selected me to go study polar bears in Canada for, like, a week. And so I went up to Churchill, Manitoba, Canada, the polar bear capital of the world, and I worked with Polar Bears International. And I was in a tundra buggy looking down at the face of a polar bear, literally in tears. And it was like at that moment when I looked at that animal, I was like, this is this is my path. This is my calling like this. I'm supposed to protect these animals like I'm supposed to do something. And I think that that sense of there's a certain sense of advocacy that can only come from seeing the animals in their natural habitat so i don't want to take the whale watching away i do think you know we could do with less boats on the water that's for sure because now having worked in california i see that there's only like one or two boats around the whales at all times as opposed to like eight or ten um but also that being said um there's a lot of like the ferries and the tankers that go through that area um, are even more so damaging and having the whale watch boats around the whales kind of signals to those captains that the whales are in the area so that's like a, a, a benefit that's not necessarily intended but it happens so in a way I kind of see them as protecting the whales by being there from yeah. those bigger boats yeah so I think it's complex nothing's black and white nothing's perfect I don't think that we should continue to villainize the whale watching industry and you know, I'm somebody that is all about getting perspective, and that's why I went to go work there because, I mean, I was on the other side of it. I was like, no, like, this is not okay. But I was like, in order for me to fully understand this issue, I'm going to go live that life. I'm going to go work from that perspective, and it changed. So. Okay. Yeah. And before we keep on going, what is your background, your university background, or for, for you to get a job, to manage to get a job there, what is your background? Is it in, like, marine biology, maybe, or? Um, I did I did a dual major in environmental studies and psychology, but focusing on like animal behavior um, from Eckerd College in St. Pete, Florida. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> um, so this tourism that you're talking about, one part of my thesis is to know whether the tourism implemented could be considered as eco-tourism, mm -hmm. meaning in my head I see it as respectful to the wildlife around, whether it's the whales, the animal marine mammals, the animals on land, but also respectful of the communities of all the islands around. Mm -hmm. Would you say that this is the kind of tourism that is on the like in the Salish Sea, or is it a bit more focused on maybe a bit more economical aspects like making money rather than protection um that is going to vary based on the company uh to be completely honest with you um there are i don't know probably at least 10 whale watching companies in the san juans um and the company that i went out with which was not the company that i worked for was san juan safaris and i would absolutely say that they are ecologically driven more so because 
No, knowing the business side of things, the day that I went out, there were three of us on the boat. They did not make money that day. Um, and we went and we saw whales. We had to go very far to see whales, but we saw them. Um, and you know, their main thing was conservation. They had boats, they, or they had books on the boat. They had maps. Um, they had a variety of different resources, the naturalists that are on their boat and the captains are like trained super thoroughly. And I would say that this is pretty much the standard for a lot of the whale watch companies. Like I know Maya's legacy is really good for that too. And they do, um, conservation work outside of, um, going on the boats and also, um, the owner of that company is um like the president of the pacific whale watch association so he's okay. you know like that's his mindset um i didn't work for either of those companies so i can't like speak more on that but there are there are some companies that are definitely it is a money-making thing but i would say for the most part people who start a whale watch company start it from a place of passion and a pa place of love um so I would say overall it is pretty ecological, yes. Yeah, okay. And as I know you've talked about it before, but can you tell me again like the few negative aspects that you see? So you said about uh, the number of boats maybe around the whales that might be a bit too much, too extreme sometimes. You said 10, right? Yeah, we've like there have been days where we've seen like 10, 10 boats out around the whales. I think, I can't remember what the cap is. I believe it's like eight, and I can go back and look it up and give you a, a, an accurate answer. Um, but there, I think, you know, there's a lot of boats that are out there. I think that I was reading Endangered Orchid by Monica Shields and the Pacific Whale Watch Association, it sounds like used to be a lot more cohesive. Um, but then there were, there was a situation in which, um, data was collected on the whale watching given to NOAA and it kind of broke the trust within the community. Um, and since then it sounds like it hasn't quite been the same. So I think, you know, having those people work together would be better. Bringing the scientists and the whale watch people together a little more could be helpful. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely, you know, there are a couple of companies out there that it's, it's, a, it's a money, it's a, yeah. it's a numbers thing. And they, you know, they don't necessarily train their naturalists properly. And there's others that do. Um, so I think, you know, what they really should do is have... Um, a program where in order to be licensed as a whale watch company, I think that they should have like a naturalist certification program, which they do, but it should be required um, by all companies to train their people um, like that. Because if you're just going out to tell people like to just show people whales and not really tell them about them, then I don't think that that's really worth it or it's very ethical. So I think that they need to in place like um, some kind of regulation in, in which it is required that naturalists and captains are checked off on whale behavior because that's important too for being in the water you know because when you're on the water if you're a boat captain you know you should know the behavior of the animal and if something's not right you should know when to back off or if you should call like you know the center for whale research or something yeah So. so that would be for you probably the main negative aspects some companies not really taking into don't really not really caring about education and like knowledge about the whales to the tourists or something yes mm -hmm. okay that makes sense hello <laughs> okay no you're good we're back so we'll we'll just we'll just start over um yeah. so the positives positive aspect, yeah of ecotourism yes so i think that this is the best way to get people to connect with animals um i think it's a lot more impactful than a photo or a video while those things are important i think seeing the animal in real life 
Um, and seeing it in its natural habitat makes these situations a little bit more real. And it, um, you know, it connects people further to the issue. Um, I remember when I saw the Southern Residents for the first time because we'd been seeing transients all summer. Mm-hmm. It became real to me. I was like, oh, like, wow, like this is like these it's these animals that we need to be caring for um so i think that's one of the positive things as well um and also like you know from an economic standpoint it's like a way because like i said this this field is very exclusive and it's elitist like environmental science in general and this is a way for people who maybe don't have that same economic privilege to still be connected to the field still do the things that they love but be able to make a living wage because there's so many opportunities out there that it requires that you've had like several unpaid internships to get and you know it requires that you have had a certain level of education and this and that and whatever and while those things are important and relevant it's not accessible to everyone not everyone can do unpaid internships and whatnot so I think that this field is is a unique way to still allow people who don't come from the same socioeconomic background as you know scientists to be able to um to, to still be in the field and still do work that's impactful. Yeah. And uh, about the edu- educational aspect, do you think, do you believe tourists who come to San Juan to see the whales and other wildlife, mm-hmm. um, from one of the interviewees that I've had, she was a bit, um, <laughs> how's the proper word, uh, criti- critical about tourists always being on their phone and focusing more on taking videos and pictures rather than enjoying the moment and actually listening to the person who's actually trying to educate them. Do you feel, is it what you saw, you, did you see that a lot when you worked for San Juan Safari or is it oh, just... I worked for Outer Island Excursions, um, but yeah. um, yes and no. So I think that there are some people out there that are there to enjoy the moment, um, but there's definitely a lot of focus on... Um, taking photos and pictures, and that's something that I've noticed in California as well, even more so here. It's it's really bad here, and I always try to tell people, you know, I try to find the balance with social media because, you know, like you just said, you found me through social media because that you follow Adam Ernster, and, like, you know, so I do see the importance of, of that connection and taking those pictures and sharing experiences, but there definitely is a line where people take it too far and it, it the focus is on their cell phones and on taking the pictures. And, you know, um, there's a whole like niche of whale photographers on the West Coast and it's a very competitive and toxic environment, I think, um, just based on what I've seen. I'm not a photographer, um, but, you know... I, I definitely think that the tourists should definitely be focused on connecting to the animals and taking that in because, you know, how often do you get to hear the breath of a killer whale or see them breach or et cetera, you know? And I guarantee you there's staff on the boat that would be willing to take pictures. Um, so maybe to combat that, I would recommend, you know, because like a lot of the people I worked with were passionate about photography and took <laughs> photos. So, um, you know, I think that having them uh it got cut off when you were saying yes and no for the tourists always taking pictures that it was worse in california that you're always trying to tell them to enjoy the moment but at the same time it's their memories so it's a bit so it's their memories it's their experience um i like i think that you should try to you know maybe get one or two good photos or videos and then take it in um 
but also there's a lot of people who are very passionate about photography that work on those boats and I I think that they'd be more than willing to share photos and videos with you I've definitely had experiences where I I, I take good photos and videos and I'll share them I'm not a photographer or videographer by any means but um, I would much rather me be standing behind my phone the person that's been on the boat you know a hundred times as opposed to the person who's there for the first time probably their only time you know, yeah. I think that they should definitely be paying attention to the sound of a killer whale, taking in the beauty of the San Juans, like all of those Douglas firs, the bull kelp, the harbor seals. Like there's so much to see. And I think yeah. that you limit yourself if you're stuck behind your phone trying to take a picture, stuck behind your camera, you're not paying attention to the little details and those other things. And in one of my interviews, we talked about whales being kind of the gateway drug into other animals. And I think if you're stuck behind your phone, you're not going to see those other little details that you might find so interesting um, throughout the San Juans. Um, So I think that we need to find a balance because social media, you know, it it isn't it does have the positives of connecting people like, you know, that's how you and I became connected. Um, However, like don't spend too much time on social media, like, you know, focus on looking at the wildlife and taking it in, because how often do you get to see a killer whale in in the wild? You don't. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it is completely true. I agree that there's a balance. It's understandable that people want to take pictures and memories, but also there's a limit that should be like taken into account. (laughs) Yes. So how much you're on your phone on there? Yes. Yeah. Too many people are caught up in their phones and I think it contributes to a very toxic culture, which is a whole nother conversation. But, you know, I I think a lot of our problems with culture and society throughout a lot of groups throughout the world is like if you just reconnect to nature, I think a lot of your problems can be solved. And, you know, being on your phone constantly is not going to help you do that. Yeah. I th- the, there's a lot of people that are very disconnected from each other and from the planet because of their devices and you know the devices can be used as a tool to bring us together but like there's a limit and you definitely need to put it down and, and be present with the people and animals that are in front of you I think in order to have more of those deep meaningful connections yeah okay cool um, the last topic as much as you know about uh, the Orca Task Force do you have an opinion about this in general, whether it's positive, negative, mixed, again, like? Um, I mean, I think having a, a, a dedicated group of politicians for this sort of issue is is very important. Um, I don't think that they necessarily got a ton of work done during their time. Um, however, like, I don't want to sit there. I'm not going to say that they're all good or that they're all bad. Um, there, there are things that could have been done, could have been done differently, but I also want to hold space for the fact that they're trying and that they're learning. Um, we, it's so unrealistic for us to expect politicians to just know the answers and make the best choices 100% of the time. Like, and that's why we have so many issues in policy. I think that they've tried. I think that there are things that could be done better. I think that we really do need to address the dam situation. I'm a little bit more partial than that situation than than the other ones, just because that I know the Chinook salmon are endangered as well. Um, yeah. You know, I I think that they 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 definitely could have done better with some things. But I'm you know I want to hold space for that the fact that that is something that even exists because you don't see that other places. You know. Um, yeah. I would like to see, you know, if they had, like, a place 
where they could distribute facts. Because like you said, like, you know, with the interviews that you went to, there's a lot of different information out there. I think that going to like wildworker.com, which is, um, or maybe it's .edu, I'll have to look it up. But um, that's um, Deborah Giles' website. I think her website, um, Center for Whale Research, um, the Whale Museum, those guys all have like the most accurate information because it's coming directly from scientists. Um, and then there are some different economic valuations out there. We interviewed Adam Demansky, um, and I think that his is probably the most in-depth, probably the most accurate. Um, so I like I think that they need to, to spread more accurate information or like disseminate that to people because a lot of the community members want to be involved. But I think that they could definitely do better at involving the community more and like making more of an effort with the dams in particular. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of highs and lows, especially for the recommendations that were, like, brought out last November, mm-hmm. which included uh, killing a thousand pinnipeds because they were the problem of the lack of salmon rather than the dams. They kind of pushed the problems away, like, yeah, we will be thinking about the breaching of the dams, but in the meantime, we think killing thousands of sea lions might be a possible answer and that created a lot of backlash well absolutely (laughs) absolutely it creates backlash because the people who are vested in wanting this the dams to be taken down are people that care about animals so of course they're not going to like a solution that says just to kill a different animal and that was absolutely a scapegoat technique like that's not going to work why do you think they thought about this solution? Like, that is, do you think there's a valid reason for them to put the blame on another animal rather than our humans' activities on the lack of salmon? That no, I don't think that that is is valid. Um, they also there were people that also tried to blame the northern residents for the lack of of salmon as well, which like that's. Yeah. That's stupid. It is us. Um, it is absolutely us. Um, and I'll tell you why they did that, and I'll tell you why those dams haven't gone down. In my personal opinion, in what I've seen, in the things that I've read, Bonneville Power Association has a hold on politicians. It is all about money because literally when you, like, I highly urge people, and it's it's very interesting to me, in my top, like, podcast listens, the episodes that are, are the most listened to are, like, kind of in order of when they've been released, and then Adam Demansky's interview, which is the one about the economic situation um and that one it just is it's like number three and it has been like the whole time um i urge people to go listen to that and to go read his economic valuation because literally from an economic standpoint alone which is what most politicians care about which is the way that we communicate to most people about change because for some reason um life somebody's life is not enough um it makes the most sense to take those dams down economically, environmentally, socially. Like it is going to be hard for the people that are there. However, there is definitely enough economic, um, what I don't know the right terminology, but that we can make it worth it for those people on an economic level. They will not suffer. They will have to change their way of life temporarily. Um, well, not temporarily, permanently, but like, you know, there, there are still people alive that, that, um, were that remember when the dams weren't there the dams are still up the reason that they that the i think the orca task force did that is because the bonneville power association has a financial hold over them like and i'm just gonna call a spade a spade and i think that's what's going on yeah 
Okay. Because they also use the excuse that, oh, yeah, but the farmers of the region is are actually using this water. And if we breach the dams, then they're also going to get into a lot of trouble. So if we breach the dams, then we're putting animals above uh, humans. And that's also like an issue that they're keep communicating about whether it's valid or not. I'm yes. not sure. But. So again, this is where, and this is again why I'm so passionate about accurate information is because there's so many people that listen to people in power, people on TV, or people of some kind of influence just because they feel like they should trust them. Unfortunately, we yeah. cannot trust our politicians. That information is incorrect. If you go and literally look at the science produced by like any university or it's, it's really important when looking at science to, to figure out who's funding the science because that's important too. I am going to just urge everyone to go back and look at Adam Demansky's um, economic environmental valuation um, and also to maybe go back and listen to that podcast because no, like there are solutions. There are potential ways that we can fix this. Like, yes, they need that water, but like we could, there are other ways to get it to them. Is it complex? Is it like complicated? 500% yes. Is it worth it? Also yes. So it's just a lot of excuses and literally what it comes down to is Bonneville Power Association has a financial hold over our politicians. This is not something new. This is something we see throughout America, throughout a variety of things. And we literally just need to hold our politicians accountable and look at the facts, like straight up look at the facts of like, where is the science coming from? Who published this? Like, why are they saying this? Like, we need to fact check our politicians because that's not that's not accurate. Yeah. And uh, still talking about the dams, you know about that march that's going to happen next month, mm -hmm. done by Coextinction, PNW, and all of that. What do you think? Do you think? I mean, we all hope it's going to make a change, of course. But do you think it's going to get any impact uh, of people working for like the almost a whole month? Mm -hmm. For the orcas, for the salmon, for all of this, how do you the first? What do you think about the concept itself, and what do you think it could bring to the politicians or even communities that are going to be aware of the situation? So, thanks to that, a lot of people like to say that marches don't do anything, and I don't, I don't agree with that. If it, even if it doesn't necessarily have a political impact, I think that bringing the community together and having I think people seeing in numbers how impactful they can be and how much support they have, I think that that boosts morale. I think that that contributes to hope and change. There, I don't see any negative side to bringing people together for, a f for something that they believe in. Um, I think that it will have impact in the sense of maybe it could inspire more people to come together. It could show, because there's never, I've never heard of a march for a species in particular. Um, okay. I, you know, we have, we've had the women's marches and things like that, and we've had the climate change marches. Um, I think that this can, it will kind of orchestrate the impact that the Southern residents have throughout the West Coast and especially in Washington. Um, so I think that it'll show people throughout the country that. Uh, will it, whether or not it will have it will have any political hold, I don't know. But I think at least for boosting morale, bringing people together, spreading information, because people there could meet other people. And like you said, like you know, we found each other through social media. You like a seed is planted, and you don't know where it's going to grow. So I think that this is potentially just an opportunity for people to plant a bunch of seeds. Yeah, because like the fun story also is I've learned about 
the thousand resident kilowatts the first time through social media mm-hmm. thanks to uh, the French Instagram blogger Little Gypsy mm-hmm. I've been following her for years and she kept talking about that um, mother orca that was transporting her dead yes. calf for, with her for 17 days yes. and it went actually huge in France yes. because of her and other famous YouTube uh, Instagrammers that took that relayed the information yeah. and that's how I got acquainted and interested in the issue that's how thousands of people in France got interested in the issue also and I think like to the march there's over 20 people from France that are flying to do the march uh-huh which is pretty amazing. That is just amazing. Thanks to that one girl that is like takes, just took like a love for those orcas and I just and just communicated about them and now it's like a whole community also internationally, mm-hmm. just because of one girl. Right. So I do hope the march is gonna have an impact somehow, even political. Yes. It should. I really hope it does. Yes. But yeah, I hope it does too. And like again, that just goes to show like a little seed is planted and it makes an impact for change. And I think if enough people care, we can make a difference. Um, while you know the the number of people in power is smaller, there's so many of us that care from so yeah. many places that I think that you know things can get done. I do have I do have faith that those dams will go down. I because yeah. I've never seen a group of people so committed to a species before ever anywhere like honestly so um i think those dams will go down i I don't know that it'll be anytime soon but i think they will okay well that's that's positive that's good (laughs) uh i'm done with my questions in general awesome well if you have any other if you need any other contacts or have any other questions let me know but thanks for interviewing me i can't wait to read your thesis when will you be done with it uh, we'll be done in June. Okay. I will be completely done. So I will, actually, I will be done with it when I arrive in Canada. Excellent. So if I actually do go to San Juan, then I will definitely like print a few, um, a few prints and then give them around because that's the reason why I write the thesis. So people could maybe see everyone's point of view and find a balance and compromises on how to work together because they all want the same thing. Yes. I agree not to (laughs) yes I agree I yeah I think that what the work that you're doing is very good and we should yeah we need to bring people together there's no reason for us to fight each other when we're all we're all on the same team exactly yeah but thank you so much for your time it means a lot Yes. Thank you for your work. The podcast is amazing. Well, thank I'm listening you. it with my mom and I'm translating in French so she could also be a part of it. Oh my it's gosh. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, she really wants to understand why I'm so obsessed with species I've never been I've never seen in my life. Yeah. Except from Free Willy, when I was a fan of it when I was a kid, I watched it hundreds of times. And she realized was, oh, that's the same parts that you're studying now. Okay, okay, I want to understand. And so I'm listening to the podcast with her and I'm translating what is said so she can get a grasp of what's happening. Wow. So that's, that's how much power your podcast has. Oh, my gosh. So well, it, 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 just think about what you have with other people. You know, if everyone is doing something about it, it can get actually huge. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, with the part of if we all do something, it could be huge. But yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad that I got to be a part of your thesis. 
Yeah, well, okay, I'm, I'm very glad you were part of it, too. Yeah. Um, if it's okay, can you just send me the names of the people you named? So yes. Contact? I will try to find their contacts, but just the names, that would be amazing. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And uh, uh, let's keep in touch if I come this summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that would be amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. But thank you so much for everything. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Bye. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.